when we talk about colonialism, we talk about violence, sexual violence against women, you know, mm. indigenous and, and African women. And that is very much a part of it. And so if we just think over the generations, we have to think about how that trauma, how that sexual trauma has been passed down. Welcome y bienvenidos to About Consent, the podcast that sparks conversations about creating consent culture, boundary repair, sexual empowerment, orgasm equality, and raising a new sexually conscious and consent-empowered generation. This is a safe, shame-free, judgment-free zone where both survivors and those who support survivors are welcome. I'm your host, Rosalia Rivera. Welcome to 2020. Happy New Year. I am thrilled about how I'm kicking off this new year and new podcast episode. I have the deep pleasure of having Dr. Rocio Rosales Mesa to kick off the new year with the most important topic of all for me, of course, and I'm sure for many of you because it has become a topic in all of our lives, whether we want to admit or accept that or not. But consent, body autonomy, our rights, this is something that's at the forefront of everything that we do. And we don't a lot of times realize how and where the impact comes from. But today I wanted to bring on Dr. Rocio because her work has impacted me in so many ways over the last year, and I'm super grateful to her. And I know that her work will also help you have amazing breakthroughs in your life as well. So I wanted to begin with introducing who she is in case you haven't heard of her. And you would probably be under a rock because she has an amazing following. And I was lucky enough to meet her earlier this year. So Dr. Rocio Rosales Mesa is a Chicana intuitive energy worker, healer, and coach. She has a PhD in counseling psychology and is a Reiki master. She comes from a long line of healers from both her maternal and paternal lineages. Dr. Rosales Mesa's mission is to facilitate mental, emotional, and spiritual healing for Black, Indigenous, women of color from an ancestral and decolonial perspective. She does this work through using her training in psychology, her ancestral wisdom and medicine, and her psychic empath and intuitive abilities. Through her work, she guides women of color to break the cycle of the colonial trauma that is holding them back, that is keeping them stuck, and that is harming them in ways they don't even know. Dr. Rosales Mesa works with women of color to uncover their blocks to healing and liberation so that they can reclaim their power through their intuition. She does this work through energy healings, sacred circles, virtual courses, and coaching. Dr. Rosales Mesa is also a mother, a wife, a daughter, a sister, a comadre, a community member. She is the first generation born on this side of the colonial border. And Dr. Mesa is proud of her culture, of her ancestors, and actively uses them as guides in her work. Her parents are immigrants, and her family originates from what is known as Cuautitlan, Jalisco, Mexico. 
She is a native Spanish speaker and was raised in Santa Ana, California, as the eldest daughter to a single mother. She is committed to her community and working towards collective healing and liberation. Dr. Rosales Mesa is honored to be used as a vessel to serve as a leader, healer, and teacher guided by spirit and her ancestors. That was uh, quite the intro that I know gave you a lot of information and background about her, but I think it's important to give you that context so that you understand where we're coming from with this conversation, which, by the way, was profound in so many ways. And I think that you're going to get a lot of value from listening to the whole episode. So I know this one's a little bit longer than usual, but I want to invite you to take some extra time today to listen to the complete episode because it is rich with wisdom and information that is going to open up a completely new perspective for you if you aren't already familiar with her work. So without further ado, here is my interview with Dr. Rocio Rosales Mesa. It is my immense, immense pleasure to have you on to kick off the new year, Rocio. Thank you so much for being here. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's my honor to be here. And thank you for having me. And thank you for all the important work that you do. Oh, well, thank you. Well, interestingly enough, that's exactly what I wanted to kick off with was talking about your work and the profound impact that it has had on me in this last year. And it actually started, I mean, we've, we've known each other uh, since I think the beginning of the spring of this year. But mm-hmm. when I realized that your work had a deeper impact than I realized was it had started with a conversation that I had had with my mom over the summer. Mm-hmm. When I learned about uh, there was some history of slavery in my family. Mm-hmm. And after following you, you know, for the last year, it really actually helped me to connect the dots about how mm-hmm. colonial mentality still impacts how we parent today because I realized Mm -hmm. how my mom had parented me, how that affected the way that I view the world and how I viewed parenting, Um, even Mm -hmm. even with all the work that I do with consent parenting and everything. But after that revelation, you know, we had talked about how this is something that most people don't realize until they start to unpack it. And Mm -hmm. so part of my goal today was to have you on to help listeners see how those dots connect. So I would love to start by asking you to share a little bit about, you know, maybe give us the definition of what colonial mentality is and how it affects parenting. Because again, I would love for listeners to see how this relates to consent. Yeah. So I'll backtrack a little bit and tell them what colonialism means. So colonialism is the process by which Europeans you know, quote unquote, conquered, settled the world. And, you know, that was African and indigenous nations, countries, lands. And that was done by force. And so it's important to remember that that was done by force. And that was also done in the minds of Europeans as a way to progress the world, right? They thought that they were doing something good, right? It was also a very violent process. And so colonialism, you know, there was violence associated with it. There was violence on humans, violence on lands, violence on culture. 
So I think that's important for folks to understand just how that happened, right? And that most of us, especially folks of color, come from that legacy of being conquered, of being, we have that sort of trauma, colonial trauma. We've inherited that through generations. And so it was taking of lands, taking of human bodies, taking of cultures, of knowledge, of history. These are all things that were either lost or hidden, I say, through the process of colonialism. Mm. And so how does that transfer to colonial mentality? Colonial mentality in academia is defined as when a person of color believes that they are inferior for being a person of color you know, being inferior because they were oppressed by the colonizer, Mm -hmm. right? So they've inherited this idea from the colonizer that because I was colonized, that happened because I was inferior, right? Right. And that's an idea that, that the oppressor put into us. We colonized you because you needed it. We colonized you because you were inferior. And then my work sort of extends that because I believe that there are folks of color that are very proud of their culture, right? So for example, you have Latinx folks that are proud of being Latinx, but that still have a colonial mentality. That feeling of inferiority still shows up in many. Yeah, it's so insidious. And One of the things that when you started at the beginning that I think is a really important point, because I want to keep tying this back to parenting, right? Mm -hmm. One of the first things that you said was that colonizers thought that they were doing good, right? Mm -hmm. And they were using violence to enact obedience. And when we think about parenting, the -hmm. way that it is normalized today is Mm -hmm. that when we enforce sometimes using violence to gain Mm -hmm. obedience, we think we're doing it for the good of the child. Mm -hmm. And I've now come to see how that is so connected to this colonial mentality, right? So I think it's incredibly powerful when, I mean, I know that when I first came to you with this realization, it was like Mm -hmm. so mind blowing to me because Mm -hmm. when I looked at your work initially, I thought it didn't relate necessarily to me. I, I didn't really, mm-hmm. you know, I thought it was important work. I continue to obviously believe it's important work, but I didn't see how it was relevant, right? And when I mm-hmm. realized about my mom, you know, having roots within slavery and then understanding why her father was so strict and using violence to, mm-hmm. you know, and this was like violence that was accepted. When we say violence nowadays, we think of really like over the top kind of violence, but I'm talking about like spankings and like chancla and, you know, mm-hmm. using the belt and all of those things are still violence, but we've normalized them so much that we yes. don't think of them as violence. We just think that's just yeah. punishments that were what you needed to do to get a child to obey, but they have roots yeah. in colonization. Is that right? Absolutely. Yes. So we've, we've inherited this idea that other people are property. And especially other people that we view as, as inferior, right? We view them as property and, we, and they don't have autonomy. They don't have sovereignty over their body, over their minds. And we very much view children as a society. We very much view children in that way. Mm-hmm. And so the ways that parenting is normalized, and fortunately, I think we're starting to undo a lot of that. But the way that parenting is still very, you know, normal is that 
children are told what to do, that parents have should have control over their children. When they don't have quote unquote control, they're viewed as bad children. Mm-hmm. And folks are viewed as bad parents if they don't have control. And these are all ideas, again, that we inherited from the colonizer to keep someone in line, to keep control over someone, you know, have someone be obedient and do what we tell them to do. This is not natural. Mm-hmm. This is something that was passed down from the colonizer that our parents, our grandparents learned. And so then they started engaging and behaving in this way. And I think the other piece that that is important to add is that there came a point where they did this to their children to protect them. Right. So when their child wasn't in line, then they became vulnerable to more of the colonizers' violence. Right. And so they, you know, they thought they were protecting by keeping them in line and by maybe be more aggressive with their children. Right. And so over the generations, obviously we don't have a colonizer with a whip, right? Having direct control over us, but that's the colonial mentality piece. In our mind, the colonizer still lives. And so we've passed this way of raising our children by the generations. And one of the really painful and sad things that I've that I believe has happened is that we've attributed this way of parenting to our culture. Mm -hmm. Like we think that this is just the way that we do things. Our cultural values are to have control over children, but that is not ours. That is not indigenous to who we are. That was violence placed on, on our people. Right. Can you give some examples of how colonial mentality is acted out in day-to-day parenting and even perhaps with language? Because I know language is, you know, I, I heard you on another interview and you had brought up the point of how language also is used still today. We don't even recognize it because it's just so part of the culture. Can you give some examples of ways that parents are still acting out this kind of colonial mentality and again, even with language? Yeah. So very simply that when we tell children something as parents, that we expect them to immediately do it Mm -hmm. without question and that we don't even take into account what is their development like? Can they even process this? We know so much about brain for children and we know that they're so immersed in their world that sometimes they don't hear us because they're processing the whole world. Mm-hmm. But when we just tell children something and we immediately expect them to do it, that is part of colonizer mentality. Mm-hmm. That we that people are not sovereign, right? That they don't have their own needs, their own wants. And we view children in that way, right? That they are just there to serve us and obey, right? right. And I think we see that so much in the day-to-day in parenting. In our culture, especially in Latinx culture, we are taught to, when our parents tell us something, we are taught to say, mande, which means like, give me an order, right? Right, yeah. And we used to think that that was just like good manners. It's good manners to say mande, right? Mm-hmm. But that again is you are, you are asking for an order, you yeah. know, tell me your order. And so that is like a direct you know, a very obvious way that the colonizer has made its way into our language, even with children. 
Yes, yes. And it's interesting. I remember hearing that interview, I believe it was with uh, Parenting in Politics, which is a great interview for anyone who wants to listen to that as well. And when I first heard that, I realized how often I use it with my mom, how often, you know, even when I started really like, you just have this new like set of glasses that you've put on to see clearer and you start Mm -hmm. to pick up on everything. And even things like when you're getting up from the table and you say permiso, like Mm -hmm. you're asking for permission to be allowed to get up, like just even that kind of thing, you know, I just found to be really interesting. And with my mom, there is a lot, like I see it so much more now. And picking that apart is a very difficult process because we, like you said, we feel like it's out of respect. And I think a lot of parents, especially grandparents, find it very difficult to um, even want to see it. It's almost like the matrix where it's like you don't want to admit or see that as part of it. What are mm-hmm. some of the ways that parents can then start to become more conscious and aware of how they can make changes to decolonize? Yeah. So I think one is this conversation and raising your awareness and asking yourself in what ways, you know, for myself even, in what ways am I not acknowledging my own needs, my own wants, and what ways am I suppressing those in favor of someone else, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And that is what colonialism, colonial mentality is that we suppress our own needs in favor of an external source, whether that be society or a person, you know, and likely people in power, right? And in what ways do I silence myself, right? Mm-hmm. And then how do I do that to my children? How do I silence my children? How do I not allow them to have a voice? How do I not allow them to have needs and wants? Am I even asking them what their needs and wants are in regards to their time, the activities that they have, the food they eat, all of these things? Because in reality, as parents, we do have a lot of control over the lives of our children. But if we want to raise children that are free from this trauma, Mm -hmm. we need to begin to create space for them and ask them questions and give them a voice. Right. That's at the heart of what I love teaching about as you consent and giving children even the ability, their innate right, really, to have a voice and to be able to vocalize what they want or don't want with their body. And I find that because of the way that we are raised culturally, it's very difficult for parents to see that as an option. Like, how do I give my child power? Like, they're supposed to listen to me and do what I tell them. And that's just, again, that, that mentality, right? So I think, yeah, yeah, those are great ways for people to start having that awareness is asking a lot of those great questions. So I think that's, that's fantastic. Yeah. And I think you're right. That's the biggest hurdle. It's like, it's not having power over, it's having power with my child. Like, mm-hmm. And also thinking about the future, right? In the future, I want to raise a free person. I want to raise a person that I'm going to continue to have a relationship with, mm-hmm. right? That, that I'm not traumatizing right now into silence. And then, you know, I think in the teenage years, a lot of People wonder, parents wonder, why is my child no longer sharing with me? Why are they silent? It's because we've submitted them into silence, you Mm -hmm. know? And so 
always keeping that long view of I want this to be an egalitarian relationship, an equal relationship, and I want to keep respect them as a full human, really. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I love that. And it's true when we don't give them that respect, which is really what it is, like we're respecting their sense of being a person, right, with rights. And all of their lives, we've been telling them what and when to do. And they get to a point where they are individuating, right? It's a whole Mm -hmm. new understanding of self. And when you've been controlling Mm -hmm. that their whole lives, like there is going to be a resentment towards, I want to, you know, expand my wings and be a free person, right? And then there's a clash Mm -hmm. because the parent just never even understood how to do that, right? So there's a power struggle, right? Which is where I think parents find themselves, yeah. This episode is brought to you by Consent Parenting, my online platform for survivor parents to learn how to keep their kids safe from abuse. Did you know that children of survivor parents have a five times higher chance of being abused because survivor parents don't know or learn the tools needed to prevent abuse? They tend to overprotect instead of empower and prepare. You can change the statistics by becoming an educated parent. Get started by downloading my free guide, Seven Ways to Teach Your Kids About Body Safety, Boundaries, and Consent by going to aboutconsent.com forward slash guide. The link will be in the show notes to get your free copy today. Now let's get back to the show. Now, before we, because uh, I want to switch gears into talking about how colonial mentality is actually at the heart of misogyny and patriarchy and how it supports and reinforces rape culture, which is another huge topic, which I want to dive into with yes. you. I wanted to ask you in the beginning, because you started in academia, and I would love for you to share just a little bit about how you made this really big shift of going from academia to really what you're doing now, which is, you know, focusing on helping folks with even understanding the awareness of colonial mentality and how to decolonize and then also reclaiming intuition, which is really a big part of your work now and how you're focusing to help others heal. Can you share a little bit about that journey? Yeah. So my whole life really, since I started in college, it has really been to the goal towards getting a PhD. And really that was to help my mom. I saw because I was raised by a single mother. I'm the eldest daughter. And so my whole life was like, I need to get a PhD to then be able to help her. And I accomplished that. And I was in academia for 10 years. Academia is still, I say, a very colonial environment because it is very white. It is very conservative. In terms of knowledge, it's like there's people in power that have the knowledge and those that don't have the knowledge need to be quiet and receive from, mm-hmm. from this other person. And even just the way that it's a very toxic environment. And I myself am an empath and a highly sensitive person. And over time, like it just, uh, I was abusing my body really. Mm-hmm. Um, and it took a toll on my physical health. And the last, um, and I had to take a medical leave when I became pregnant. Over the course of that time, I was actually fired from the university, and that was a big blow and a huge loss for me because I earned tenure, which was, I thought I had a lifetime job. Hmm. Um, When they fired me, it really felt like the end of the world for me, and I cried and cried and cried, Um, but 
in reality, I think that that's what needed to happen for me to do this work. Mm -hmm. And for me to also speak about that experience and to share that perspective. And it's not that I don't believe in higher education. I just think we could do it differently. I think we could do education differently. And I also believe that we don't have to achieve success at a cost to our health and our mental health. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like that was very much needed for my journey to be able to do this work. Like I needed to, to go through that, survive that. I had to figure out how to get myself out of, you know, get myself healthy again, start my life over really in a way where I no longer gave power over something external and where I no longer placed knowledge over my own intuition. So these are all things that I now teach the women of color that I work with. And I absolutely still use my training as a psychologist, but I just use it in a different way. And you now also talk about reclaiming our intuition. Can you talk about why that has become a greater part of your work now as well? Yeah. So I think for me, I just, especially for women of color and folks of color, We often don't do what is best for us because we think what's best for us is what is told to us. We so easily are vulnerable to accepting influence from other people. And that, again, is directly from colonialism. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the things that really we're born for, you know, I spirituality is a big part of my work. A lot of the things that we're put on this earth for, we delay or we don't even choose because we go along with what society tells us. Mm -hmm. And we do that often to the detriment of our own bodies, of our own spirits, of our own mind. And so for me, decolonizing work is really about doing all of this paradigm shifts and learning and relearning, but also about getting to a place where you begin to trust your inner voice, your own, your intuition, Because I believe that that is what is going to lead people to wellness, to wholeness, to healing, to liberation. Yeah, exactly. I love that. Well, and one of the things that I talk about when I teach parents through the work I'm doing is also to help children learn how to tune into their intuition and listen to it. Because I think that's a big part of how we, that's something that we're born with. And when we can't express it when we're young, we grow up not knowing how to tap into it, mm-hmm. you know, as adults. And I think particularly for survivors, anyone who has experienced boundary violation, it's mm-hmm. also something that gets almost stripped of us because if we yeah. found ourselves in a situation where we, we had a voice that was telling us, don't go to this, don't be with this person, you know, we have an inner mm-hmm. voice, but we've never trusted it because we weren't raised or taught on how to do that. And then we end up blaming ourselves for what happened. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of shame that gets added in. So I love that you do this work because I think it's very healing in how Mm -hmm. someone can learn to release shame, to start trusting themselves more. There's so many healing properties to that. And in terms of being a survivor, just to kind of go back, circle back to that, one of the things that I've also really started connecting the dots with more and more as I dig deeper into your work and continue on my journey of researching with what I do is how 
colonial mentality is, again, like I said, at the heart of misogyny and patriarchy and how it reinforces rape culture. And one perfect example is anyone who feels like this seems really kind of abstract is um, Mm -hmm. a very recent example with T.I. and his daughter, Deja, and how Mm -hmm. he was basically saying her value as a person, as property, is going to be devalued Mm -hmm. the moment that she is no longer a virgin. And so when I heard about this story, I was trying to educate my audience also about how this really has its roots in the way that women were property when they were married off and how that all ties back. So can you talk to me about how you, because I know you also talk about misogyny and patriarchy through the work that you do and getting folks to see those connections. Can you talk about how those things connect? Yeah. So one thing that folks need to understand is that the way that Europeans took over indigenous African countries was through raping the women, right? Because the women in these cultures were the most powerful. Hmm. And so how did you take control? How do you have power over these people is by raping them. And so that is very much, when we talk about colonialism, we talk about violence, sexual violence against women, you Mm. know, indigenous and and African women. And that is very much a part of it. And so if we just think over the generations, we have to think about how that trauma, how that sexual trauma has been passed down and how women It's really an issue of power, is that women do not have power. Women sense colonialism, that power has been stripped away from them. And they were deemed as not worthy, deemed as property, deemed as not even having a voice, right? Mm -hmm. So that has passed down to us in terms of even if we, survivors especially, but even just women of color in general, we've learned that we're not in power or that we don't have a voice or that we are just here to serve others and do what other people do. And we've learned to almost our survival, you know, those things that we're born with, a survival tactics, our, our intuition, we've learned over the generations to silence them as a survival mm-hmm. technique, right? Because mm-hmm. we didn't do what the colonizer told us, we would be killed. And so that has been those behaviors of silencing our voice has been passed down and then has become normalized. And it's through this work that then women of color begin to realize that this is not something that's natural. This is not my fault even for not listening, Mm -hmm. because I think also when people start learning about this work, there is a layer of shame, you know, of like, I wasn't honoring my voice. I wasn't doing these things. And I always say, it's not your fault. And to have compassion mm-hmm. for where you are, and even compassion for just the generations of trauma that you are undoing, you know, that it's okay to be where you are. Yeah, I love that. I love that. It's so true. And it's so needed for women to hear that because women do blame a lot of times the situations that they put themselves in. And if we, that was something that I grew up with for a really long time was being told like, don't wear a skirt that's too short or red lipstick or be in the wrong place at the wrong time. 
So it was always putting the pressure on yourself of not doing the wrong thing. And then if you did, for whatever reason, find yourself as a victim of sexual abuse or any other kind, you still blamed yourself, even though you knew it wasn't at the heart, yeah. you know, it's not your fault, but you still feel responsible yeah. because of what you, you know, what culture and your family perhaps even told you. So I think it's important yeah. to break that concept down to understand where those things come from. So you can really not yeah. just say it on the surface to say it's not my fault, but to really understand it in like a yeah. deep level. You know, I think that that is really healing as well to know because I, I when I started to realize it, when I started to see those differences and understand where these concepts and ideas came from, I understood it on a, on a heart level, on a root level versus yes. just like to yes. know it as sort of an affirmation, you know? Right. What are some things that women can do, particularly women of color, because I know that's who you work with um, specifically, that they can do to impact our behavior or, you know, how to impact culture in a way that is just by simple things that we can do, either with ourselves or with the way that we interact with other people. What are some of the things that you recommend that, that women can start yeah. to do? Yeah. So I think the work, it can feel overwhelming sometimes. And so if you're listening and, and you're feeling like this is so much, and where do I start? You know, I always say it starts with you. It starts with how you interact with yourself, right? And again, how can I honor myself, whether that's like even down to basics, like, am I getting enough rest? Am I allowing for rest and sleep? Am I feeding myself foods that are nurturing? And these are things that can seem very simple, but that are not so simple. Because over the generations, because of this colonial trauma, we've been taught to deny our needs, right? that it's more about work and it's more about serving other people that I just exist to serve other people. Mm. And so when we start to just take a step back and ask ourselves, what do I need, right? How can I honor myself? How can I allow for rest for myself, right? What can I do for fun, like to bring joy into my life, right? Mm -hmm. And not what other people want or what I can do for them and, and how I can make other people happy, but how can I make myself? And that is huge. That is revolutionary. That is you beginning to undo this colonial trauma. That is you standing up for yourself. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I love that too, because I know from even a survivor mentality, which I'm grateful I've moved past to feel like I'm thriving now. And I think that came from realizing true self-worth and how yeah. um, it doesn't come from having to serve everyone and people please and just give, give, give in yeah. order for them to see my worth. And then when I started yeah. to realize how that actually does come from that colonial mentality, which is so crazy how insidious it is, because like yeah. I learned it from my mom who learned it from her parents of how to your worth comes from how you give and how you serve and how you deliver yeah. to someone else and then expect mm -hmm. to receive the accolades, right? Instead of knowing that you mm -hmm. are innately worth, you know, worthy. Yeah. Um, regardless of what happened to you, regardless of and again, even the whole idea of a survivor because of assault feeling like you're less than mm -hmm. because your value as a person has somehow been 
tainted or damaged yeah. because you're no longer virginal or pure or whatever it was that, you know, that idea, like all of those yeah. things, I can see the roots of it in all of that. So it's fascinating. And when you talk about, you know, something as simple as rest, it seems so simple, but I know for my mom, for example, it's really hard for her to do. And it so, is. yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. So I, I think those are really important, basic, foundational steps. And once you feel like you can master those, you can, you know, move on to those next. Days. So I love that. Yeah. And I think when folks think of like rest and all these things, right, think about it as taking back your power and think about it as also taking back your ancestral power. Mm. How am I resting for my mother and for my ancestral mothers, right? The reason why we don't feel worthy of resting is because our ancestors were not allowed to do that, mm. right? The reason why we don't feel worthy is because the colonizer placed that into us to control us. The reason why women don't feel like they just are worthy just because they are, they needed us to believe that to control them. Mm -hmm. And so always thinking that it's related to that power to control, right? And when I do these things like resting, like allowing myself, like asking myself, what do I want? You know, not what does my family want? What do I want? Mm -hmm. You know, and how can I set boundaries so that I can create sacred space for myself? That is you reclaiming that power. Mm -hmm. That is you taking. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. There's so much. And one of the things that, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to bring you on was to get people to learn about what you do and the work that you do, because I want them to start to follow your work. And so I would love to, I want to invite those listening to definitely check out Dr. Rocio's work. Um, how can people find you? What is on the horizon for you, first of all? And then also, how can people connect with you if they're interested in learning more about you? Yeah, so this month, um, in the beginning of the month, I have a webinar just to kind of introduce, break down colonialism and colonial mentality for folks, because it is deep work. You know, I realize it's not work where you just read about it one time or take a course like it's ongoing. Mm -hmm. It's really healing, healing work. And so I'm going to have a webinar at the beginning of this month. And then I'm going to have a coaching group towards the end of the month where I take a group of women, just 10 women, to really dive deep into this work. Mm. And so that's what I have planned. I'm really excited just about having folks re really go on this journey for themselves and, and begin to uncover this for themselves and, and really begin to heal from this. I love that. And you also, you're on Patreon, of course, so people can still connect with you that way as well. Yes, and I'm also on Patreon. And so I have a circle that I do with women of color every month. And if there are just simple questions that something that they're going through that they want to receive coaching related to this work, they have a question like, how does this apply to me? Or, you know, I heard you on this podcast and this made me think of this and I want to ask you a question. Patreon is a great way to do that. I show up live monthly. Awesome. So how else can people connect with your work? Because I mean, I know you're on Instagram, but you recently started a second page. So can you talk mm -hmm. a little bit about that also? Because I find what recently has been happening as fascinating. And I think it speaks to the culture of people pushing back on 
you know, fear, right? It comes down to fear. Um, Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so I am on Instagram at Dr. Rosales Mesa, Dr. Rosales Mesa, and I created a backup account because really like this work that you and I do is really about dismantling the patriarchy and a lot of folks push back against that. I know that you've seen that in some of your lives, mm-hmm. you know, push back from people. And so whenever you do dismantling work of the patriarchy, there is going to be pushback and there is going to be men that are not okay with this work and and will want to shut down the work. And so on Instagram, I created a backup account just to, you know, preserve that community just as a safety measure. Um, And so that's Dr. Rosales Mesa without the dot. Mm -hmm. Um, And I am also on Facebook and I'm going to get back to lives doing on there to have these conversations live and they're saved on there for folks to view. And I have conversations about this. Awesome. And then of course you have your website where people can connect with you directly as well. Yes. Uh, www.drrosalesmesa.com. Perfect. Yeah. And like I said, I found you, well, we connected through different, a totally different way, but we connected in the beginning of the year and it has really taken all of this time to really connect the dots, right? And not that I wasn't doing that before, but when I first connected with your work, like I said, I didn't realize how it impacted me until I made Mm -hmm. that connection with my mom and having that conversation. And ever since then, I actually have now a genealogist that is going to help me dig into all of that history to really understand because I had no idea how that was impacting, you know, and it helped me make so many changes now with the way that I continue parenting and and learn more and more each day. So I find your work fascinating. I hope that uh, listeners will check you out. I'm going to, of course, post all of those links in the show notes. And I wanted to end the episode each week or every time that I have a guest, I always ask them to offer some advice on one of the main topics, which I talk about on my podcast, which are consent, boundaries, or sexual empowerment. So I always ask them to choose one topic to give advice on. What would you like to give the listeners some advice in relation to one of those topics? Yeah, I think boundaries is a big one. (laughs) I think boundaries is a big one. And boundaries also for women is just, is again, a paradigm shift. And I want them to know that it's setting healthy boundaries, again, is a way to reclaim your power. It is also a journey and it is also a process. Mm -hmm. And so initially it's going to be very difficult. And so I just want to normalize that. Don't give up when someone doesn't honor your boundary, right? Mm -hmm. To continue, it's a process that folks will continue to have to respect and you have to keep holding the line. You have to keep holding the line for folks to honor your boundaries because you are teaching them a new way to treat you and interact with you. Mm -hmm. And that in setting boundaries, you are really honoring yourself. And so I I just want to normalize that it's going to be difficult, that it's going to take time, but that you are worth it and that you are not a bad person, a mean person for setting boundaries. Really setting boundaries is about respecting and honoring yourself and respecting the relationship that you have with another person Mm -hmm. because you set boundaries Mm -hmm. to preserve that relationship. So I want folks to like, change their perspective about how they view boundaries. 
boundaries are really love, you know, love for myself and love for that relationship. So knowing that it's going to be a process and knowing that really it's a gift for yourself and for the other. Hallelujah. I, you know, that is so perfectly said. Love is boundaries and it is respecting that relationship. So I absolutely love that. Thank you for sharing that. So Rocio, thank you so much for being here. I absolutely loved our conversation. And I know that this is a deep topic. I will most likely invite you back on the show later this year so we can dive into it. Yeah, because there's so much to dig into it. And um, particularly parenting, this topic goes deep with respect to consent. So I hope that you come back and join us again. And I can't wait to hear your feedback, listeners, about this. So thank you, Rocio, for being here. Thank you for having me. So listeners, thank you again for joining us. And I know that you're going to get so many light bulb moments from this conversation. I would love for you to share them with us. Screenshot this if you're listening on your phone, screenshot it and uh, tag us, post it on Instagram and tag us both. We would love to know what was your best takeaway from today's episode. And just be sure to follow Dr. Rocio. Again, the links will be in the show notes. And I can't wait to hear from you. Until next time, stay empowered and talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Don't miss the next episode. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast. And I would be so grateful if you took one minute to post a five-star rating and reviews on iTunes so that others can also find this information. I will be shouting you out and thanking you on the next episode. If you found this useful, be sure to share it with others as well. Let's continue to create consent culture, one conversation at a time. Stay empowered.